0: Dear kind loving Father, again we give you thanks that we can come and study your sanctuary. We pray that as we study with our Bibles open, I pray, dear Lord, that Holy Spirit will fill our hearts, fill our minds. You promise when you're on this earth that you'll never leave us comfortless, that when you leave, you'll send another comforter to lead us into all truth. I pray that as we open your word, to study with the Bible in our hands. I pray that we will have the presence of Holy Spirit with us, holy angels with us. I pray, Father, that you will beat back all the influence of the devil so that we can learn your word, we can understand your word, we can do your word, we can share your word, your promise that this gospel of the kingdom will go into all the world and then the end will come. I pray that we will be a part of fulfilling that prophecy that you made, that the gospel will go into all the world. I pray for blessing upon us as we study and read your open word. I ask that when time comes to an end, we'll be able to go home with you live in eternity in the new earth, that you will recreate. I ask these mercies in the name of our Savior, the Messiah who came to this earth, Emmanuel. In his name we pray. Amen. We're now in part three of the sanctuary study. In Psalms, chapter 77, verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Exodus chapter 25 and verse eight. Again, we review the request that God is here making to Israel through Moses when they were in the wilderness. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell and may rest among them according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instrument there are, even so shall ye make it. And as we studied before, there's a sanctuary in heaven, and the earthly tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle, was just a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle, where Jesus would minister after he came to this earth, lived, preached, then died, rose from the dead. And Paul said, we have an high priest who is now in the heavenly tabernacle. So the earthly tabernacle is just a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. Remember, we said God is always in the middle. In Revelation chapter 14, 1, through two, we saw that there was a lion around the throne. The throne was in the midst. There was a lion around the throne. There was a man around the throne. There was a a living creature like a bull that was around the throne. There was a living creature like an eagle that's around the throne. And we see Judah is a lion. Reuben is the, the standard of a man. Ephraim had the standard of a bull, and Dan had the standard of an eagle. In Numbers chapter two, we saw that there were three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. The tabernacle had one entrance on the east. So with Judah, you had Zebulun and Issachar under the standard of a lion. In the south, you had Reuben, Simeon, and God under the standard of Reuben, that was the face of a man. On the west, you had Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh under the standard of Ephraim, the bull. On the north, you had Dan, Asher, Naphtali under the standard of an eagle. So the layout of the camp of Israel, just like the layout of the new Jerusalem, just like the layout of God's throne. And we saw that God was always in the midst from Genesis right through Revelation of the new earth. God will be in the midst. Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of it, throne and round about the throne, were four beasts, that's the King James Version, but if you look up the strongest number for beasts, you'll see that it should be four living creatures, full of eyes before and behind. So right in front of God's throne was the sea of glass. And now we're going to look at the symbol of the heavenly temple that on earth you had something similar. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17 to 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. So here's the entrance to the tabernacle of the congregation. Remember the five pillars. And here is the altar of burnt sacrifice. And right between the entrance to the tabernacle and the altar of burnt sacrifice, we have this lava, some people pronounce it later. It was for washing. It was made out of brass.
1: And it had mirrors at the bottom. Verse 19 of Exodus chapter 30. For
0: Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat, at the lava. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, and it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him, and to his seed throughout the generation. So, when the priest came to the temple to minister, remember, they are going to be going into God's presence. They would enter through the holy place. That's God's presence. God promised that he would come and his Presence would be on top of the Shekinah, the ark that contained the 10 Commandments with the mercy seat on top with the two angels, one on each end of the mercy seat. God's presence would be in the middle. When the priest came to the tabernacle, symbolically, they would wash with water. They would wash the dirt, but symbolically washing the dirt from their hands And their feet would be what Jesus would do for us by washing away our sins. If you remember, the night before Jesus died, we need to water and wash the disciples' feet. He said to them, "You are all clean except one, which was Judas." So when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, symbolically, he was washing away their sins. So. Purpose of the lava was for that washing, washing of the priests, symbolically washing away their sins. Now we're going to look at some of these texts. Now, before we do that, let's look at the temple that Solomon built. Here is the temple you have a cutaway that you can see into the holy and the most holy place. Here is the altar of burnt sacrifice. You did not go up to the altar of burnt sacrifice on steps, and God gave the reason for that. You went up on it on a ram. Then, right here, noticing Second Chronicles 14, reading from verse 1 to verse 3, it said, "Moreover, he made an altar of brass." Here's an altar of brass, similar to the altar of brass that was made for the wilderness tabernacle. The dimension of the altar brass that Solomon made was different, but it, it served the same purpose. Notice verse two, also he made a molten sea. Because of the size of this lava, it was called a sea in the book of Chronicles. And remember we read that before the throne of God was a sea of glass. So this lava that Solomon made because of its size, it was called a molten sea. And this is the symbol of what was in, what is in heaven and what will be in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, that river of life, that sea of glass mingled with fire. Isaiah chapter one, 16 through 18, speaking of washing. Wash you, make you clean. And notice what the washing and being clean is. Put away the evil of your doing from before mine eyes. This is what God said. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. To do good is a learning process. We don't have to learn to do evil because of Adam's sin, we have the natural tendency to do evil. But to do good, we must learn to do good. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together. God is willing to sit down and speak with us when we meditate on his word. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. Notice what Jeremiah is, is saying here now with the physical water. For though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. Now remember, the water in that lava is just a symbol. We can't get into our tubs at home or into the shower at home with water and soap and say we're going to wash away our sin. It's just a symbol used by God to let us know that Jesus Christ, using his blood, and when he was wounded, the blood and the water that came from his wounded side, that's what washed away our sin. Only Jesus Christ can wash away our sin. But symbolically, the word was used in the tabernacle. Psalms 51, 1 to 3. Washing again. Notice what David said. A son of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So notice the sin of adultery and the murder that David had committed in sleeping with Bathsheba, and then killing Uriah, her husband, to cover up the sin because Bathsheba became pregnant. When Nathan came and pointed it out to him, notice what David is asked in God to do. Wash him thoroughly from his iniquity. Cleanse him from his sin. Only God can do that. And notice what he said in verse three. What goes with repentance? What goes with washing? The acknowledgement. For I acknowledge my transgression. We must acknowledge that we have sinned and confess the sin. And when we confess the sin, acknowledge that we are sinners, God will wash it away. Again, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. That's what David said and he wanted God to take away his sin. And you remember in the book of John, the first chapter in John, when John, the one who baptized was speaking, he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin. Not just of David, not just my sin or your sin, but the sin of the entire world. Notice what David continued in saying in Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop." And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We are washed in the blood of the lamb, and we become white. Notice in Exodus chapter twelve, verse twenty-two, hisop was used to spread the blood on the doorposts in Egypt. In Leviticus chapter fourteen, verse six, and fourteen, verse forty-nine to fifty-two. Hyssop and water was used to cleanse a house that had leprosy growing in it. Not leprosy on a person, but leprosy on a house. Numbers chapter 19, verse 6. Hyssop, cedar wood, scarlet, the pepper's blood, and water was used for the cleansing of the priest. In Numbers chapter 19, verse 18 and 19, hyssop and water to cleanse those who have touched dead persons. So right through the Bible, we can see that hyssop with water, with scarlet wood and the heifer's blood that represent the blood of Jesus. That's what was used symbolically representing Jesus who alone can wash away our sin. John chapter 19, 34 to 35. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced His side, Jesus' side, and forth, we came there out blood and water. Blood that was shed at the altar of burnt sacrifice. Water that was in the lava. So before anyone can regain entrance or back to the presence of God, they must be washed by the blood of Jesus. They must be washed by the water from his wounded side. And then we can come boldly, because though our sins have been washed away, we can come boldly to the throne of God and present our petition to God. Exodus chapter 27, nine through 18. And thou shalt make the court. Here's the court. Here is the court, the court of the tabernacle and it had this structure right around it and that's what we're going to be looking at now. So here's the tabernacle, here's the lava, here's the altar of burnt sacrifice and this is the court for the tabernacle. And then remember that the tribe of Levi, Moses and Aaron's camp would be right at the front because only the priests and the high priest and the priest's family could go in but then you have three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes, and then the mixed multitude was then beyond. So here now is a court. God is always in the middle. And thou shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. This is the south side of the tabernacle. Southward, there shall be hangings for the court of fine twine linen. Linen, that white linen represented the righteousness of Christ. He alone is righteous and He will give us His righteousness. A hundred cubit long on one side. So from this end to this end was 100 cubit, roughly about 150 feet and the 20 pillars, so there were 20 pillars that held up that linen on this side. Then Exodus chapter 27, 9 through 18. For the north side, 100 cubic long, so on the north side is 100 cubic, same as this, and also 20 pillars. Verse 12. For the breadth of the court on the west side, this is the west side with the linen, there shall be 10 pillars. And there we have the 10 pillars. So 20 pillars on the south side, 20 pillars on the north side, 10 pillars on the west side. For a total of 50 pillars. Now, what's the symbol of these 50 pillars? Notice these are given as one. We're going to come back to the east side, but notice the linen was on these three sides and their dimensions were given together. There's a difference in the dimension when it's given for the east side. So what's the symbolism of these 50 pillars? It represents the 50-year jubilee. Notice what God said to Moses in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. And thou shalt number seven sabbaths of years unto thee. Seven times seven years. Seven times seven is 49. And the space of seven sabbaths of year. Remember, at the end of every seven year, The land was supposed to rest. And those who were serving as servants would go back to their inheritance. God had something set up with the number seven. Again, at creation, on the seventh day, the Bible said that God rested. Remember, Adam and Eve had not worked at this time. They needed no rest. So the first person to work, God. The first person to rest was God. That was before the entrance of sin. After sin came into the world, God set up a system where through the sacrifice of blood, human beings could be saved. And then when Israel was in the wilderness, he came now and gave the tabernacle system. And notice what he's saying. Number seven sabbaths of years, 49 years, end of verse 8, notice verse 9, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement, shall he make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, jubilee, why, verse 10, and he shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof, all, not just Israel,
1: all who were living with Israel, the strangers, and also the,
0: anyone among the 12 tribes, everyone was free, all debts were forgiven. You did not have debts going from one generation to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation and on and on. At the end of 50 years, all debts were forgiven. Everyone who had originally, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, the 12 tribes were given land. At the end of every 50 years, God has set it up that all the land should go back to the original tribe that had received that land when they came out of Egypt after the wilderness, 40 years wandering, and into the promised land. The land would go back to its original owner. At the end of seven, seven years of Sabbath, brothers and sisters as you read and study with your open bible in your hand you will see that there was nothing in the bible old or new where the first day of the week was ever used for anything other than work but
1: notice at the end of creation seven days before sin
0: God rested,
1: and Adam and Eve would meet with God on the Sabbath day before sin. After sin, man had to work, animals had to work, and in Exodus
0: chapter 20, God told Israel in the wilderness that the Sabbath now would serve an additional purpose. It serves an additional purpose for physical rest, Originally, it was a rest where we would commune with God on that day. Notice because people would get in debt, people would uh, get into all type of problem because of sin in this world. God allowed that at the end of seven years, people were supposed to be let free. But there were deaths and if someone has sold their land possession, here we have the 50th year. Every 50 years, the land will go back to its original owner. So the 50 pillars, 20 on the south side, 20 on the north side, 10 on the west side, those 50 pillars, every time the children of Israel would set up the camp, and place the 50 pillars, take down the camp, take down the 50 pillars, it would always remind them that every 50 years, they were free to go back to their original land. And they were free to claim back their original land. You know, sometimes people say the Old Testament required a lot of laws, and it was hard But notice the freedom. Every seven days, the people rested. Every seven years, nobody would plant. God would allow everything to grow, and the people would have food, the rich and the poor, would eat freely from what God would allow to grow. Every 50 years, seven times seven, then the next year, everything would go back to its original owner, freedom. Look at the freedom, look at the symbolism that God is setting up to let us know that soon and very soon, all that bondage to sin will be gone. Continue reading in Exodus chapter 27. And the breadth of the court on the east side, here's the east side, eastward shall be 50 cubits. The hanging on one side of the gate, here's the gate. Here's the hanging on one side of the gate. Here's the hanging on the other side of the gate. Notice that this side, the east side is the only side that had a separate, it was broken down into three parts. Notice the rest of the tabernacle was broken down into three parts. So these three parts were together. Then these three parts are together. Verse 14, the hangings of one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars. Notice, three pillars on this side, three pillars. Verse 15, and on the other side shall be 15 cubits and their three pillars. So there were three pillars and three pillars on the east side with the gate and for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of 20 cubits now notice that the gate was not made out of linen like the rest of the court of the tabernacle all of these were just linen notice that the gate was not just linen it was made out of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twine linen, identical to the veil in the tabernacle, identical to the entrance, identical to the first covering. Now, if the veil represents Jesus, then the gate, again, would represent Jesus. Here is the gate and their pillars shall be four. So you have three on this side, three pillars, three pillars and four pillars. And this represented Jesus, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twine linen. So just as the 50 pillars had a symbolic meaning, the 10 pillars, Three on this side of the gate, three on this side of the gate, and six, three, plus four, plus three, represent ten. Ten commandments.
1: Brothers and sisters,
0: notice that four of the commandments, the first four, is our duty to God. Those four commandments represent the four pillars. The four pillars represent God. The four pillars represent Jesus. In order to get in, you have to go through the gate. The gate represents Jesus. The three pillars on one side, the three pillars on the other side represent the six commandments that have to do with our duty to one another. The entire sanctuary represented Jesus. The Ten Commandments is just a transcript of God's character. And the Bible let us know that it was Jesus who spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel. The same I am who met with Moses at the burning bush. Remember what he told Israel when he was here on earth? Before Abraham was, I am. He was a rock from where the water flowed. Remember what Paul said in... First Corinthians chapter 10, that the rock followed them wherever they go, wherever they traveled, and the rock was Christ. Again, the entire tabernacle, the pillars, the things in the court, the things in the holy place, the things in the most holy place, represented Jesus. John chapter 10, verse nine, I am the door, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. They would find food to eat by traveling through Jesus. Now, we're gonna give an overview. So what we have just done in the Sandra study, chapter number one, the Sandra study number two, the sanctuary study number three, the first part, was go over all the items in the sanctuary. Now we're going to go again an overview to look now at everything in the sanctuary to show that from the gate with its four pillars, the three pillars on either side, the 20 pillars, the 10 pillars, the 20 pillars, the five pillars to the entrance to the holy place, the four pillars from the holy place over into the most holy place, the different layers of covering of the tabernacle, the veil on the inside, the ark that contained the 10 Commandments, with the two angels on either side in the most holy place, with the Shekinah glory, God's presence on on the mercy seat, the altar of incense, the candlestick, the table, the showbread, the lava, the altar of burnt sacrifice, every item represented Jesus and Jesus' work in taking away sin. If it was not for the sin of Adam and Eve in eating of a tree of knowledge of good and evil, if it was not for the sin, there would have never need to be a sanctuary. Paul said, These were added because of transgression. Now notice again, God in the middle. Revelation chapter four, verse six to seven. You had a living creature like a lion, representing the standard of lion, tribe of Judah. You have a living creature around God's throne, the ox, the standard of Ephraim, the bull, the ox. You had one of the living creature, a human face, the standard of Reuben, the man. You have a living creature, like a flying eagle, the standard of Dan, the eagle. So just as these living creatures with these facial features were around the throne of God in heaven, when God came and asked, told Moses to build a sanctuary, a shadow of what's in heaven, He had the layout just the same way. And remember, in the new earth, when that new Jerusalem come down out of heaven and is reinstalled on this earth after it's cleansed by the fire, hellfire, that will not burn forever, but it will burn and go out so that human beings can come and live on this earth. John said, I saw the tabernacle, that new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven out of God is going to come down in this earth. There are three gates on one side and each each side, three gates, just as the layout of the earth, the tabernacle. That's going to be in the new earth when God recreate the earth after sin, sinners, and Satan is destroyed. Remember, the board in the tabernacle. There were 48 boards. In Exodus chapter 26, 15 through 30, speak about the 48 boards. 48 boards in the construction of the holy and the most holy place. Each board had holes through them where they would put what is called the tenon straight through to hold it up. Then you had sockets at the bottom. Moses and Aaron and the Levites did not j- dig holes in the ground to put the boards in. They had sockets. There were two corner boards. Jesus is a corner. So you have six boards. You have twenty boards and twenty boards, and you have two corner board. Forty-eight boards. Forty-eight boards. Forty-eight cities of refuge. Each board. Representing one of those cities of refuge. And who is the refuge? God is our refuge and strength, a present help in the time of need. So the 48 boards, the 48 cities represented Jesus. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are laden and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We had the courtyard. Notice what Jesus said when he was on this earth. John chapter 5, verse 46. Had he believed Moses, he would have believed me. For Moses wrote of me. How would you find Moses writing about Jesus? In the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the five pillars to the entrance to the holy place represent the five books of Moses. Then we have four pillars from the holy place over into the most holy place with the veil supported by the four pillars. What's the four pillar pillars? The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John wrote about Jesus. Over in the most holy place, we have the ark. Over in the holy place, we have the candlestick. We have the altar of incense right before the veil, and we have the table with the showbread over on the north side. Exodus chapter 26, 1 through 14. We have the description for the covering. The first covering was of blue and purple and fine twine linen. The entrance had a a veil at the entrance also. of blue and purple and fine twine linen. Next, we had the goat here. Next, we had the ram skin dyed red. And then, next, we had the badger skin. So, when a person approached the camp of Israel, this structure was 10 cubits tall, over 15 feet tall. They would be able to see the structure, but it would just be a simple-looking structure of just black badger skin, because the beauty, in order to see the beauty, you'd have to go inside, where the board were overlaid with gold, with angels and flowers carved into the gold that's on the board. So all of this represents Jesus. The Bible said when you look at him, there was nothing in him that would attract us to him. But boy, when you get to know Jesus, the beauty of his character will show forth. So that's again in Exodus chapter 26, 1 through 14. Exodus chapter 25, 10 through 12, tells us about the ark that contained the ten commandments. It had the two tables of stone on the inside. It had the mercy seat. It had the two angels on either end of the mercy seat with God's presence, the Shekinah glory, right in the middle. God in the middle. But he was in the middle between the two angels in the most holy place. Mary is not sitting on the mercy seat as depicted on that church in Chicago. It's not Mary. Symbolically, this was God sitting on his throne. Mary is not a queen in heaven. God is on his throne in heaven. Mary was just the mother of Jesus. When Jesus, when God took on humanity, and came to this earth. Mary is the mother of that humanity. Mary is the, not the mother of God it, with Jesus in his pre-existing state. The Bible said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice that mercy and sacrifice is at the same level. Remember, the ark with the mercy seat on top was one and a half cubits high. The altar of burnt sacrifice, was three cubits high. But in the middle, it had what we call a grating. The grating was placed in the middle. Therefore, it was one and a half cubit from the base. The animal would be burned here. The flesh of the animal would be burned here. The animal, the death of the animal that was burnt here represented the fact that Jesus would come and die for us. So where sacrifice took place and where mercy sat is at the same height. Mercy is not greater than sacrifice. Sacrifice is not greater than mercy. So when when the sacrifice was being offered, out in the court and the mercy was on the inside where God's presence was symbolically located under Shekinah glory. It was at the same
1: height, mercy and sacrifice at the same level. that's why God can save us because he's
0: as merciful as he is just. The veil, Exodus chapter 26, 31 to 33. It was over 15 feet tall from top to bottom. Remember, on the veil, the priest would sprinkle some of the blood from the animal. The blood had the sin because remember, when a person sinned, they would put their head on top of the animal. If the priest sinned, he would put his head. His hand on top of the head of the animal. On the Day of Atonement, the hand would go on top of the goat that the lot fell on representing God's goat. The morning and evening sacrifice, the hand went on the top of the head. Every day, some of the blood would be sprinkled on the veil. That veil became bloody because of blood being sprinkled on it. It became filthy with blood. Filthy with sin. Our sins make God's entire creation filthy. But here symbolically, it's now representing Jesus because Jesus, Paul said, his flesh is at veil. Jesus took our sins on himself. Jesus did not go to the cross and took the, the law to the cross and then nailed the law to the cross, he took my sins, the writing, all the things that were against me. My sin is against me. The law is not against me. The law just point out sin, but what's given me problem, what's giving human being problem from Adam's sin until Jesus come the second time or until Jesus died? It was our sins.
1: When Jesus went to the cross, he took our sins and our sins washed away. So the veil represents Jesus's flesh. The altar of
0: incense can be found Exodus chapter 31, one through 11. It had horns, horn at each end. It had a crown, represented royalty. It was made out of acacia wood, some people, in some places it's a shit and wood it was entirely covered with gold representing Jesus righteousness it had rings through which you put place the staves the staves were that the priest could carry it on your shoulder none of the articles in the sanctuary that represented Jesus was supposed to be uh, carried and caught everything that had Staves in it was carried on the shoulder of the priest. The boards were carried on car because they did not have staves in them for them to transport it. But the ark with the Ten Commandments, the table with the showbread, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt sacrifice, all had staves, and those staves were supposed to remain in them. The crown represents royalty. The horns represent salvation. That's what Zachariah said in the, in the New Testament when he was praising God for the birth of John the Baptist and then the soon birth of Jesus. On top of the Ark of Incense, you had the container with the incense, and the priest would carry the incense with him when he goes into the presence of God, into the most holy place. So without Jesus with him, the incense representing Jesus, it also tell us in Revelation, the incense rise with the priors of the saints. The Holy Spirit would present our petition. So in order for the human priest to come into God's presence, there must be a shield of incense between them and God. Jesus is always that shield. Exodus chapter 25, 31 to 40. The light, the only light in the center was provided by the seven branch lampstand. One center branch and then three branches on either side. They had knobs and flowers and you had the oil, the olive oil. The oil, again, representing the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say in John chapter eight, verse 12? Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. So the light through the candlestick, the seven branch candlestick represented Jesus, who is the light of the world. Exodus chapter 25, 23 through 30, we had the table with the showbread. It was made out of shitting wood, overlaid. And then you had the two rings on each side. You had a stave that went through, and the priest was supposed to carry it on their shoulder. You have showbread, the present. It was placed there every Sabbath. Every seventh day, fresh bread would be placed on the table, representing the fact that when people came to worship God, they would be receiving fresh bread. The bread represents Jesus. John chapter six, verse
1: 51. I am that living bread that come down from heaven. The altar of burned sacrifice out in the court. It represented the fact
0: that Jesus was going to die for our sin. It was placed right at the entrance. As you enter through the gate and the east, the first thing that you come to is Jesus' death, the altar of burned sacrifice. You cannot get into the presence of God without Jesus. There is only one gate to that earthly temple because there's only one savior. There's no other name given among men, not Buddha. He might have been a good man, not Muhammad. He might have been a good prophet, not Confucius. He might have been a good teacher, but there's only one savior. As John said in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him. And then in verse 14 of John chapter one, the word became flesh. The one who created this world, the one who spoke the word into existence. Hebrews chapter one, tell us that. John chapter one, tell us that. Colossians chapter one, tell us that. And John chapter one, 14 tell us that that the one who created the earth is the same one who came to this earth, born as a child, at the age of 30 years, was anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach good tidings. At the end of his three and a half years of ministry, he died. Symbolism of the altar of burnt sacrifice represented Jesus' death on the cross. Without the death of the Lamb of God, that take away the sin of the world, No human being would be able to get back into God's presence. Brothers and sisters, as you study with your open Bible in your hand, remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt, for them to come
1: out of Egypt bondage, the lamb had to die. The father of each family
0: would take hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and put it on the doorpost. The doorpost, the blood, represent Jesus. When that destroying angel passed through the land of Egypt, they would pass over the house that contained the blood on the doorpost. Because the blood was applied to the doorpost, the angel passed over. So Israel celebrated Passover and then they came out of Egypt. And we're going to show you, when Jesus died, he died at Passover. So, at the end of this earth, when Jesus returned the second time, and the angels came to gather the righteous, the righteous dead who will be raised from the dead, the righteous living, they will gather, they will, the death will pass over the righteous, but the wicked will be slain. So when we apply the Passover blood that Jesus shed and that Passover in AD 31, when we are washed in his blood, just as our Israel left Egypt, a symbol of sin, we will be able to leave this world and return to the new earth. We will have a right to go back to the new earth. Remember, every day if someone sinned, if it was the high priest or the priest family, they would place their hands on the head of that animal. If it was just a regular person, they would place the hand on the head. Leviticus chapter one, verse four, the hand must be placed on the head, not on the body, not on the back, If you remember when Abraham was going to offer Isaac and they had the wood and they had the fire and Isaac said, Dad, we have wood, we have fire. Where is the lamb? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb. And remember when Jesus, when John saw John, he said, behold the lamb of God, the lamb that was promised. So in Leviticus chapter three, verse two, the hand must be on the lamb, the head of the lamb. In biblical chapter four, verse four, verse 24, verse 29, verse 33, the head, the hand, must be placed on the head. When the sin is confessed, or the sins confessed, is transferred from the person to the lamb. The lamb was slain. The body of the lamb, the part that God designates, should be burned and grating that was in the middle of the altar of burnt sacrifice. Some of the blood would be placed, poured out at the base of the altar of burnt sacrifice. Every day, morning through evening, blood is being poured out. Some of the blood will be sprinkled on the veil after Doing that every day, every day, the whole place was bloody. Now notice, the sins were transferred. So the forgiveness of sin is the transfer of sin from the person, the guilty person, to the lamb. Our sins are not transferred to Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, or any person, the sins, are transferred to the lamb or the animal. The animal represented Jesus. The blood was shed. The blood was poured at the base of the altar. The blood was sprinkled on the veil. So the sin now
1: was taken from the person, but it was put in the sanctuary. It had to be cleansed. When was the cleansing? The
0: day of atonement. That was the day of cleansing. The day of atonement came once every year, on the seventh month, the 10th day of the seventh month. You can read and you can see the sacrifice that the priest had to do to prepare himself. He had to offer a bullock first on that day for himself before he would get two goats from the entire camp of Israel. He would take the goat to the tabernacle. He would cast a lot. Whichever goat, the lot that represented God, whichever goat that lot fell on, that one would be slain. The next goat was never slain. It was not killed. Only the shedding of blood can take away our sins. chapter 16, verse 29. Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 27, you can read from there on. Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse nine, you can read from there on. Leviticus chapter 29, starting in verse seven, you can read from there on, speaking about the day of atonement, the cleansing of the sanctuary, the cleansing of the people when sin was now removed from the entire camp. Again, remember, when a person came and confessed their sin on the head of the animal, their sins would be transferred from them to the animal to the sanctuary. The symbol of sin remained in the sanctuary. The person went away free, but the sins Replaced on the sanctuary. The sanctuary had to be cleansed. And this is
1: a cleansing.
0: The goat and which the lot fell, that goat was slain. The body, the part that God wanted to be burned, would be burned on the altar of burnt sacrifice. The priest would catch the blood. He would go to the laver and he would wash himself. Not he washing himself, but the other priest who would minister with him would wash. Then they would leave out of the tabernacle. The high priest, putting on the holy garment, would go into the holy place. He would take the incense from the altar of incense. He would go beyond the veil. He would walk and go on the other side of the ark that contained the Ten Commandments with the two angels on either end, with the Shekinah glory in the middle. He would stand on the far side of the ark ark, with the Ten Commandments, and you'd dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times towards now the mercy seat. He would take some of the blood and put it on the horn of the altar of incense that was here. And And then he would come out and put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of burnt sacrifice. When he did that, all the blood around here would be cleansed. All the blood that was on the veil would be cleansed. So he would make an atonement for the sanctuary and his articles, his vessels, and he would make an atonement. So all now the symbolism of sin is cleansed. The priest would then come back outside, take the live goat, the goat that would not die. In fact, the Bible said, when he had made an end of his atonement, at the end, so now the atonement had been completed he would come out and take the scapegoat. That goat did not die. He would now put all sin on that goat. Why? Because in every sin, there's two entity involved. There's a person who commit the sin, and the devil, the evil one, the wicked one, who tempts to commit the sin. When we confess our sin, our sins transferred to Jesus, that, and Jesus died, representing the Lord's goat. But for every sin that's committed, there's a tempter. Satan is going to be punished for his part in it, and that's what the priest is doing. We need now put in, and can't put in the on the scapegoat, but. Record now of sin, that goat was taken to the wilderness and it was let go in the wilderness. It would just wander in the wilderness, a place not inhabited and you'd wander until it eventually died, but not from the hand of someone. Daniel chapter eight verse 24 tells us about the cleansing of the sanctuary the only sanctuary that could be cleansed according to daniel's prophecy had to be the true sanctuary that was in heaven daniel tells us about the cleansing of another sanctuary that sanctuary the true tabernacle that god pitched and not man that's in heaven at the end of 2300 days prophetically 2300
1: years when Jesus now will start his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Now let's look at an overview of a typical year
0: as set up by God. In the first month, the biblical month, you can read it in Exodus chapter 12. The first month equivalent to about our March April, the 14th day of that month was the Passover. Remember the evening and the morning the first day. So the 14th day we start the evening of this day. So the 14th day of that month would be the Passover. The next day would be the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It went for seven days, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first day of the yearly Feast of Unleavened Bread would have been a Passover. It fell on a date. Every year, it could change. And some year, just as this calendar is showing, it would fall on a a Sabbath, the seventh day. But on some years, it would fall on any other day of the week. If the Feast of Unleavened Bread fell on a seventh-day Sabbath, the end of the week, it would be called a high day. And if you remember when Jesus died, it was called a high day because you have a regular seventh day Sabbath and the Feast of Unleavened Bread Sabbath. That feast went for seven days. At the end of the feast was also a Sabbath. That Sabbath would be then on a Friday. These are yearly Sabbath. 50 days after the day following the Feast of Unleavened Bread counting 50 days from here, you would have Pentecost. Now what does that Pentecost represent? The 50 days represented in Exodus chapter 19, it took 50 days from when the children of Israel left Egypt until when God came and spoke the 10 Commandments. You know, most people don't know that. They just know it as as Pentecost representing 50. But when you read Exodus chapter 19, you can see that it took 50 days from when Israel left Egypt to when God actually spoke the Ten Commandments. So the Feast of Pentecost was for Israel to remember that God spoke the Ten Commandments. Then, in the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month was the feast of blowing of trumpets. What's the blowing of trumpet? You see, in Israel, the only way they know when a month ends and a month start was by the priest blowing the trumpet. So when this month started, the priest would blow trumpet. When the second month started, the priest would blow trumpet. When the third month, blow the trumpet. The fourth month, you'll blow the trumpet. The fifth month, you'll blow the trumpet. The sixth month, you'll blow the trumpet. The seventh month, you'll blow the trumpet, signifying that the seventh month is starting. But because we're going to have now the Day of Atonement in the seventh month, the priest now would have a feast of blowing of trumpets. So every year, there will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sounding of trumpets. When you go to Revelation, how many trumpets do you have? Seven, signifying that judgment is going to start. The judgment that corresponds to the heavenly sanctuary. The judgment where our high priest, Jesus Christ, would be going into the most holy place. On the 10th day of that seventh month, was the Day of Atonement, that was a Sabbath. So the Day of Atonement on the seventh month, the 10th day of the month was the Day of Atonement when the earthly priest would cleanse the earthly sanctuary. This is corresponding again to what Daniel said that at the end of 2300 days, the sanctuary would be cleansed. A prophetic day representing a prophetic year at the end of 2300 years. And according to Daniel, that was in 1844, when Jesus, our high priest, went into the most holy place. So that was also a Sabbath of rest. On this month, that 10th day of the month would fall on a Sabbath. So this was a Sabbath, this was a Sabbath, this was a Sabbath, this was a Sabbath, and this was a Sabbath. Then the last feast in Israel, the last feast was on the 15th day of the seventh month. That feast would go for seven days. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But then there was a special instruction The first day of the feast was a Sabbath. So in that seventh month, that 15th day of that seventh month was a Sabbath. Then they count seven days. Then the next day at the end of the feast was also a Sabbath. So the 15th day was a Sabbath. Eight days later was another Sabbath. This is the feast of Tabernacle. Brothers and sisters, remember, that when Jesus came to this earth, it was God with us. That's why he was called Emmanuel. God came to tabernacle with us. So what's the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacle? It signifies the day when the Messiah would have been born. Remember, the day is from the evening to the morning. So the day of the 15th day would have started the evening of the 14th, so Jesus was born the evening of the 14th. Now, what happened then? What's the significance of this eighth day? Jesus then would have born at the evening, so in, in the, the biblical reckoning, he would have been born on the 15th, the evening of the 14th day, which would have been the 15th day. One, two, three, four, Five, six, seven. On the eighth day, Jesus was taken to the temple to be named. He was also going to be circumcised. Remember, these are Sabbaths when the people would not work. So if the people were following what God said, if Israel was following what God said, when the day of Jesus' birth came, they would have been keeping a Sabbath. They would have known that the Messiah, the anointed one, was born. When the eighth day came, they would have known. They would have been at the temple to hear Mary and Joseph. And Joseph saying to the high priest, his name is Emmanuel. His name is Yahshua, God's Savior. They would have heard and
1: they would have known. Brothers and sisters, as you study with your Bible in your hand, only two people
0: were there. It was Simeon Simeon and Anna. And both of them prophesied because representing them, the entire humanity, only two people were there. Sad, because the Feast of Tabernacle represented the fact that. The Messiah would come and tabernacle with us, God with us. So here are the Sabbaths, the seven yearly Sabbaths. These are yearly Sabbath, and notice the seven yearly Sabbath represented something that Jesus would do for us to take away our sin It's not the same as the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath points back to creation. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. There were three times in the year that all males were required to go up to Jerusalem. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Here's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If the the males went up to the feast of unleavened bread every year, you know what that was preparing them to to recognize? They would have been there when Jesus died. They would have been there when he rests in the grave. And they would have been there when he rose from the dead on that first day. Notice the resurrection was not kept as anything special. See there, nothing. These are the days. That kept special the feast of, of, of unleavened bread, representing the fact that when Jesus died unleavened, just as our leaven was taken out of the house of Israel, the death of Jesus take away all our sin. Behold, the Lamb of God that take away our sin. Jesus finished his work on the sixth day and died and said, "It is finished." And rested on the Sabbath day. At creation, God finished His work and rested. At redemption, God finished His work and rested. 50 days later, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out as in the book of Acts. So at the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks taking us here, The end of the Feast of Weeks, the next day, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts. You can read about it in Acts chapter two. And what does this represent? It represented the fact that Israel took 50 days from when they left Egypt to when God spoke the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel were supposed to be in Jerusalem to worship at the Feast of Tabernacle. Here's the Feast of Tabernacle. If they were there to worship every year, they would have seen when God came to Tabernacle with man. But only Anna and Simeon was there at that time. So the purpose of those three times when Israel was to go up yearly to the Tabernacle, it was shown that they would have learned they would have understand, understood what Jesus was going to be doing on man's behalf. Seven yearly Sabbaths signifying Jesus' work. The seventh day Sabbath that fell at the end of each week represented the fact
1: that Jesus was a creator. Before sin, that Was instituted. Now, remember, Jesus created in
0: Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Colossians chapter 1. Created, made by Him, visible and invisible. Hebrews chapter one, God created all things through the Son. So God created, the word created. Then John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh. So brothers and sisters, as you study, with your own Bible in your hand, your Bible, Genesis chapter one, on day one, God created light. Day four, God filled the entire creation with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day two, God created the firmament and the water. Day five, God filled the entire firmament and water with the birds and the fish. Day three, God created the land, the trees, and the grass. Day six, God filled it, with man and animal. Day seven. A regular day. Just like any other day. Just like any of the first six days of the week. God took that day. And God blessed that day. God sanctified that day. God rested on that day. And on the seventh day, God Filled it with Himself. That's the only difference between the first day, the second day, the third day, then the filling with the fourth day, the filling with the fifth day, the filling with the sixth day. On the seventh day, God took just a regular day and filled it with Himself. He blessed it. He sanctified it. God rested. God
1: rested. Adam and Eve was not working. They rested with God. God would on that first Sabbath tell Adam
0: and Eve what he had done. They had not worked. It was God who had worked. It was God who rested before sin. There was no need for an earthly tabernacle. There were no need for offering of animals because there were no sin. There was not a person called an Israelite. There was not a person called an American, a European, or an African, or a West Indian.
1: There was not a person called a Jew. There were Adam, Eve, the Creator, angels.
0: But the Sabbath, according to Jesus, in Mark chapter two, verse 27 and 28, the Sabbath was made for man, for mankind. The Sabbath was instituted in that garden that was in Eden. There was something else that was instituted before sin, in that garden that was in Eden. And that was marriage. When God created Adam and Eve, on that sixth day, he married them. Therefore for this cause, he said, shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. So God instituted marriage. The state does not institute marriage. It's not because you get a marriage license from the state. Why? It's now legal and honored by God. You don't need a marriage license from the state for it to be
1: legalized and honored by God. You don't need that. God made made a
0: male and female, and on the sixth day, they were married, and on that seventh day, Adam and Eve spent time with God. Before sin came into this world, on the first page of your Bible, you will notice the Bible said, when God took all the animals to Adam, for him to name them, that there was not found any that was like Adam. That was before Eve was created. So therefore, human beings should not have relationship with animals because before sin, the Bible says, there was not one that was corresponded to Adam. And then the Bible said, God took Adam and made Eve. Before sin, God made them male and female, not males and females, not male and male, or female and female but male and female. So the marriage relationship that God instituted is between a male and a female. The Sabbath was instituted between God for man. Again, in Mark chapter two, the Sabbath was made for man. Now, with your Bible in your hand, you're looking at this, notice, that man has changed the day of worship from the seventh day to the first day. And now almost every nation on earth is changing the marriage relationship from between a man and a woman to between man and man and woman and woman. And if you read in Lyptikos, chapter 16 and 17 and 18, you will notice that the reason why those nations were being driven out of the land was because of what they were doing. The Bible said they stopped having relationship with man and woman, and they were having relationship with animals, something that is prohibited by Genesis chapter two and woman was having relationship with woman, and man was having relationship with man, something that's prohibited, like Genesis chapter two, before sin came into this world. And the Bible said, because of that, the land was vomiting the nation out of it, and the land was polluted because of what those people were doing in the land, those seven nations can read it in Leviticus chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 17, Leviticus chapter 18. God told Israel that they should not do after the manner of what those people were doing. But today, people have rejected the Sabbath, the seventh day, and they're now worshipping on the first day of the week. And they have now rejected marriage, and they're doing their style of marriage. God instituted the Sabbath and marriage before
1: sin. Seven times in Genesis, it said it was His work. He made, He rested, His work. He made, He rested, His work. So the first one to work was God. The first one to rest
0: was God. Notice what Paul said in the New Testament, the seventh day rest. Hebrews chapter four and verse four. For he stayed in a certain place of the seventh day. Notice that even in the time of Paul, Paul was converting In AD 34, from creation to AD 34, here Paul, after his conversion, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews sometime before AD 66, after he was uh, converted in AD 34. So sometime between AD 34 and AD 66, because he died in AD, just about AD 66, I think. He is still calling, the Sabbath, the seventh day. He's not speaking of the first day of the week. Notice what he said, verse four, read it again. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, and this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. Now brothers and sisters, as you study with your Bible open in your hand, how then can someone say, that Paul changed the day of worship. When Paul is saying that God rested on the seventh day. Notice in verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also ceased from his own works. How? As God did from his work. When did God rest? Genesis chapter two, Tells us that God rested on the seventh day. Paul said, if you are going to rest, you must rest the same way that God rests. So then, notice what Paul is saying. If you are going to rest, you can't rest the way a church in the world is resting today. You can't rest according to the Seventh day Adventist Church. You should not rest according to the Mormon Church. You should not rest according to the Catholic Church. You should not rest according to the Jehovah Witness Church or the Baptist or the Presbyterian or those who worship like Islam or Buddha or Confucius, Hindu. You should not rest like any man. Paul said, verse 10, For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own work as God did. And in Genesis chapter 2, it said that God rested on the seventh day. In Exodus chapter 20, God speaking And we pointed out that this was Jesus speaking. Speaking from Mount Sinai to Israel, he said, remember. How can you remember something that you have never heard about or known? You remember something that you know about. The reason why Israel had to leave Egypt is because in Egypt, Pharaoh made a law that every slave must work seven days on the week, and God took Israel out of Egypt so that they could worship and rest on the seventh day. And at Mount Sinai, 50 days after leaving Egypt, Pentecost, the institution of the Feast of Pentecost, God speaking the Ten Commandments, Jesus speaking the Ten Commandments said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days shalt thou labor. And then he said, for in six days, the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all of them is rested on the seventh day. And you know, remember Revelation chapter 14, the angel flying in the maze of heaven, calling human beings back to worship God. What did the angel say? Worship him that made the heaven, the sea, the fountains of waters. If the angel is calling people back to worship, it's because the world has forgotten when to worship. And the angel there in Revelation chapter 14, warning about receiving the mark of the beast, the name of the beast. The number of the beast is calling people back to worshiping God. Worshiping God, worshiping the creator. When did the creator rest upon the path? On the seventh day. There's a church that has set a day and is requiring human beings to worship. The church has set the first day of the week and they have called it their mark or their sign. Will you see? God of a sign and the beast of a sign. God's sign is in the Sabbath. Because in the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, you have the name, the Lord God. You have his title, the Creator. You have his domain, the heaven and the earth. You take the seal of the United States, take the seal of the President of the United States. And you will see in the seal, you're going to see the country, you're going to see the domain, and you're going to see the name of that president. The seal of the United States cannot be a legal stamp unless it has those three
1: parts, name of the person, his title, and his domain. President, it can be Barack Obama, it used to be Bush
0: or Ronald Reagan or George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. He gave the domain, the United States, and he gave his title, the President. It's the same thing. God's seal is right there in the fourth commandment. He is the Lord, Yahweh. He is the Creator, and His dominion. Not just heaven, but heaven and earth. And if you're going to rest, you must cease, I must cease from my work, just as he stopped working on the seventh day. Notice what Isaiah say about the rest day. This is Isaiah speaking about the new heaven and the new earth. Sin is going to be done away with. Sin is going sin and sinners going to be destroyed in that lake of fire. And then Isaiah said in verse 17 of Isaiah 65, for behold, this is Isaiah speaking, the words that God put in his mouth. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come into mind. Sin and sinners have been done away with. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass, that from one new moon to another, from one month to another,
1: and from one Sabbath
0: to another,
1: all flesh
0: shall come to worship before me, saith the Lord. We're in the Bible, can we find, where human beings are called flesh. It's in Genesis chapter two, before sin, where Adam said, this woman is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So when God created human beings
1: as flesh, there was nothing wrong with it, nothing. The problem that came into the earth is because Adam and
0: Eve obeyed the devil and God took on flesh, Hebrews chapter two, so he might destroy the works of him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And when God created a new heaven and new earth, all flesh, the original plan is now going to be put in place. Just as how Adam and Eve celebrated the Sabbath with the Creator, so in the new
1: earth, all the saved, will come and worship God on the Sabbath day. So brothers and sisters, as you study with the
0: Bible in your hand, you will see then that the sanctuary was instituted to take away sin. The only problem that came in this earth is a sin problem. And God is going to take out the sin problem and reinstitute everything the way it would have been before sin. So Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 46, and he's speaking to Israel because Israel has stopped believing in the coming Messiah. And notice what Jesus said. Had he believed Moses, you would have believed me for Moses wrote of me. How did Moses write about Jesus? Moses wrote about Jesus in the sanctuary. Everything in the sanctuary, something that came in after sin to take away sin out of this world, everything in the sanctuary represented Jesus. John chapter one, Jesus is the lamb of God. John chapter six, verse 48. Jesus is the bread. John chapter nine, verse five. Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 10 and verse nine. Jesus is that only door, that one door, the only way no man can come to the Father except through me. The only way to salvation is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus is the veil. John chapter four and verse 10, Jesus is the living water. Jesus is all that human beings need. Jesus is all the world to us.
1: There is no other name given to humans where they can be saved. It's only the name of Jesus. He is the creator. He is
0: the recreator. When he created the earth, he created it in six days and rested on the seventh day. When he came and redeemed us, He finished his work of redemption. On that
1: Friday, he rested on the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, as you study with your open Bible in your hand, you can see that
0: Jesus, the Lamb of God, has taken away our sins. You don't have to go on pilgrimage. You don't have to pay money. You don't even have to go to a priest, a pastor, or an elder to ask for forgiveness of your sins. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. All you have to do is acknowledge your sin and ask for forgiveness. And your sins will be washed
1: away by the blood of the Lamb.